0: Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So, welcome to the Teacher Story. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Teacher Story podcast. My name is Jackie Scully, and today I have Carl Honma uh, with us, and he will be sharing his own teacher journey. Um, I met Carl on a group on Facebook for teachers. And this is actually the first uh, real conversation that we have had since being on Facebook. And I look forward to learning more about his background and his teaching journey, as well as I hope all of you do, um, and hopefully to meet in person sometime in the near future. So, welcome, Carl. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So my first question for you is really to look at, um, you know, the beginning stages of why maybe we would even go into teaching. And so if you want to describe anything about your background, your childhood or anything that maybe emerged as a younger person that could have allowed yourself to go down this track.
1: Well, you know, Jackie, one of the things that I always felt was a um, immediate connection with you was our um, the, the fact that we were both spent time in Hawaii and yeah. having grown up on the, the hawaii island on the big island i the when i was little I, I grew up in a town that was pretty much a farming and ranching town and when i went to high school it was a it was a school it was a plantation school it was a school in the, literally in the middle of a sugar cane plantation and so my classmates all came from that um, my classmates and I all came from that background and it was interesting because um how especially in the plantation town people were very much um segregated Mm. by their their ethnic groups and culture groups and that was a throwback to the days of the sugarcane plantation where the workers the contract laborers from different countries were 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 separated. They were segregated. Mm-hmm. To, I, from my understanding, it was a way to discourage uh, unionization.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: So there were diff- definitely distinct groups that that grew out that grew out of that. But as I got to know more and more people, it was very interesting to see that they all valued, you know trying to learn what they needed to learn to succeed in life. But for many of my classmates, their their destiny seemed to be pre, um, predetermined.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That their their futures were much like what their their, their families, their, their parents had done, which was to work on the ranch or in the farms or, or on the plantation. A joke for a lot of my high school classmates was they were going to go to Cane Field College.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> they're going to work on the plantation yeah. but but in the um after I graduated a few years after I graduated um the the plantation started to close down mm. and I be, I believe in the early 90s was one of the last of the uh, plantations um on Hawaii Island to close mm. and that left a lot of people with no real alternatives because they had put all their eggs in that basket they had not gone to school and things like that and basically what they were what they had planned on spending their life on was was the plantations and but i remember in high school back then like my, my parents had always sort of had always you know pushed us to do uh as well in school as possible and all and i wasn't by any means, like a like a really top top student, but I was I was okay. I, I did I did okay, but I I felt like back then I was drawn to teaching because I I I thought um I was I wasn't interested in working on the plantation on the ranches or on the ranch or anything, but I I thought maybe I would join the military. Mm. And and be able to travel and um, maybe learn learn a learn a skill and things like that, but I remember the um, kind of the whispers of like the, the plantations closing were were kind of around at that time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I remember in in middle school and high school wanting to try and help my classmates who maybe had not really cared too much about academics to just sort of come up with strategies to maybe like do better. Because it was a case where you just sort of got tracked into a, a curriculum that basically did not lead to any kind of further education. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't plan to go to any sort of, um, like I said, I was planning to join the military, but I ended up really at the last minute taking the SAT as a, I guess, as a senior,
2: Mm. I had
1: no idea what it was. I I (laughs) honestly thought that the SAT was named that because, Mm -hmm. and the University of Hawaii on the big island where I ended up going to was was combined with the community college and all, but there was a little uh, presentation by somebody from the school to teach you how to, to help you fill out the forms and all, and our, my home teacher just basically refused to let us go. That's just saying, you, you know, guys like people like you don't go to school. You're, j- you're mm. just looking for an excuse to go and well, smoke cigarettes in the bathroom or, or, <laughs> or whatever. I, I don't know what he thought we were going to be doing. But he just said, no. Mm. And so I didn't. I, I knew someone, I knew a, a girl that was a year under me, and she had gotten the forms and stuff. And so she said, oh, you should, you should just, you should fill it out and apply. And when I saw that I had to take these tests and things like that, I thought, oh, oh, okay. Wow. And that, that was a real, that was a real experience for me. And I thought, you know, somebody's got to teach, somebody's got to teach people like me how to Mm. do things. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
1: And I remember trying to find out stuff and like, um try to share them with some of my classmates and um because I said you know the the plant the just not going to be there forever
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and um um that and that turned out to be the case but I think that that was the first inklings that I had where mm. were maybe maybe you could compensate for certain disadvantages by by just teaching people how to do things it wasn't that mm-hmm. It wasn't that people lacked the intelligence. They just lacked the information they needed.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Ironically, ironically, the first teaching job I had was at that private school. Oh, wow. Full circle. (laughs) And when I went there, I was the only, it was a boarding school, and it was very much patterned after um, um, New England private schools.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, um, and and it was boarding. So it had a very um, um, a real cosmopolitan student population. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And when I worked there, I was the only person that went to to the public public school system in Hawaii. And that was something that was a real. um, A lot of my colleagues saw that as a real albatross around my neck. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. um, it was really it was it was it was a very interesting process. The first job I got there as soon as I got out of college. The funny thing is, I I never spent a day as a student in in, in a private school. Mm-hmm. My higher educational career, from from kindergarten all the way up to uh, graduate school, was was in the Hawaii's public school system. Mm-hmm. But I've never worked in a public school
2: mm, for my entire, that's interesting.
1: all 30, whatever years of my professional wow. career has been spent in the private school. And a big part of that was when I, when I first started um, and I had applied into the public school system, there was, there was no room. Mm. I, I got nothing. Mm. I had, there were no offers. I've been there. <laughs> yes. And so, so the, hard. And the first teaching job I got was at that private school, but it was as a part-time mm-hmm. elementary school PE teacher.
0: Oh wow!
1: That was my first teaching job. <laughs> Very a,
0: different uh, than what you do
1: now. It's a part-time <laughs> elementary school PE teacher, and I drove over to the other side of the island to Kona every day to do it. And it was wow. kind of um, <laughs> it was it was interesting. It was a kin- It was a. <laughs> preschool through fourth grade school Mm -hmm. and I ended up teaching a lot of those students as uh, seniors I ended up teaching them Uh. psychology later on um quite a few of them actually and some of whom I still keep in touch with but um I was sitting in the office one day um and the, the head of the upper school calls and asks for me and he says what was your degree in anyway and I said well psychology and I got my certification in secondary education he goes oh because we have a, a, a opening in the uh, history department mm. um, that involves teaching Hawaiian history and psychology oh wow and are you interested and that's I said, a
0: great combination yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so I ended up doing that so I ended up teaching Hawaiian history and psychology there, along with a whole bunch of other things. But I ended up staying there for 17 years.
0: Oh wow! So your and first I, job was for a good like half of your career.
1: Yeah, and I ended up. I mean, I ended up a department head. Wow. Um, I was a, uh, I was a head. I was a head coach for cross country teams and track teams for many, many, many years there, mm-hmm. and I. I started teaching the very first, when AP Psychology first came out, that's the first time I taught it there mm. um, in 19, gosh, when was it? I'm trying you to are right
0: at the beginning of AP Psychology starting.
1: Yes. Yeah, wow. the very first year they offered it. That's cool. And I had um, a student who had taken my regular psychology class he asked, he said, hey, did um, and this is before the days of the internet. I think mm-hmm. it was, was it before email? It might have been, before, yeah, I think it was before email. Mm. And he said, Oh, that um he told me that um an um an AP class in psychology was starting. And then, so I went to see our um guidance counselor and all he said, yeah, it is. Anyway, this student wanted to do it, and so we just met completely off the books. There was no mm-hmm. class in office. But we had got we got a college level textbook, um, and and we just met during lunch and kind of went through it. And so he took the very first um, AP psychology class mm-hmm. that we ever had at the school. Uh, he took the very first exam. Mm-hmm. So he's 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 a professor at UC Berkeley right now. Oh
0: wow! Yeah, he
1: teaches. Uh, he got his he got his degree in psychology and he teaches. I think it's it awesome. business school like with advertising and all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the next year we had a the first real class mm. and there were four four PhDs from that class. Wow. Who they're and they're all like um either teaching or practicing. That's awesome. Right now. Yeah. Um and yeah, I was there a long time. And that was the first year too, that uh, when I um I signed up for the um, the AP reading and I started Mm -hmm. that in 2003 and I was the first person from Hawaii to do it.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: I was the very first person from Hawaii to do it. And um, I was the first person from Hawaii to be a table leader also. Mm. And so it was was a real interesting journey, Mm -hmm. but it was real, what I found really interesting about it was that coming from the public school system, and teaching in the private school system and then going into the, co- with the college board and all, it seemed like all along the way, there are these desires to, to further to further s- segregate, whether it was AP mm. from non-AP, probably from mm. private and all. But um, like I said, I never spent a second in a private school as a student. Mm-hmm. And I ended up teaching in private schools kind of as a default. <laughs> um and i just didn't see the sense in like not taking the attitude that we're all in this together Mm -hmm. that um and i i really saw firsthand the advantages there were to a Mm -hmm. lot of private schools Mm -hmm. but i also saw the disadvantages of them because the the populations in private schools were often really uh, maybe not as diverse as they could, as right. they, as they could be. Mm-hmm. And that many of my, I know for myself and, uh, and classmates that I had that went to um, schools that were, that had populations that maybe were more um, um, representative of the areas, mm-hmm. um, learned things that um, you just couldn't learn because you weren't exposed to the people who were actually mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know, um, my my own children um, go to the the public school in the town I live in here in um, Eastern Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And they have a wide variety of friends who, and they learn so much from Mm -hmm. them, you know, but unlike what I experienced growing up, um, they grew up largely not, being familiar with adjectives to describe people mm, mm-hmm. by their race or ethnicity or, or 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 that sort of thing, they just have people they know. They just have classmates. They have friends, mm. but they just don't use the adjectives to describe them. Um And I I I I like that, and I thought that that was something very valuable they got out of it
2: mm-hmm, that mm-hmm.
1: they wouldn't have gotten had they. Attended um, the first school I worked at when we moved here to Pennsylvania from Hawaii, which was very, um, which is very exclusive.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You know that they've gotten a much more well-rounded education in that way. Uh, w- one of the biggest um, conscious decisions I made in the last few years was to really turn the switch off, um, on my work stuff at a certain mm-hmm. point in the day, That mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm done. I'll pick this up tomorrow morning and mm-hmm. things have gone. Okay. Yeah. Things have gone fine. Um, whereas before I would typically, um, generally we, we, we put our children to sleep mm-hmm. and I'd set my alarm to get back up to prepare for the next day. mm mm-hmm. And that was just that was just so that was just so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. That was just so unhealthy. And I burn out really fast.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's hard yeah. to really fully give to your students if you're purely burnout and exhausted because oh, then yeah. you lose your spark, which oh, is what they want to see. They want to see that energy and that's I've been in the same boat too. And because it's more about I want to have an engaging lesson and I wanna be engaged with my students. And by doing that, I also, again, need to give myself my time, right? And I need to have that energy. And I think that's what keeps us in this and keeps us going is when we have those really great lessons where we're clicking with the students and there's an energy there between both ourselves and them that it's like, I'll get to the grading or I'll get to the other kind of administrative tasks because this is my craft you know mm-hmm. and that's what i want to hone in on kind of thing
1: and i, and I think too i mean um teachers need need to be res- what they do need to be respected unless they give them i think unless an educator gives a reason to need micromanagement mm-hmm. that that sh- that shouldn't be the the rule of thumb mm-hmm um i i i think the one size fits all requirement of whether it be submitting lesson plans or writing your objectives on the board and things like that i think it works for some people but mandating anything for everyone is it just is not a good idea yeah and i i think what what's the saying we um teachers are dying death of like a death like a lot of little cuts because mm. it's little little things here, little mm-hmm. things there that take a little bit longer, mm-hmm. a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Um, I think that the, the pandemic really brought many of those things to, to light.
0: Yeah, I was just having this conversation with my students recently about the silver linings of the pandemic, and I find that it kind of allowed everything to bubble to the surface in a very hard way emotionally to deal with, but then to really look it in the eye and say, this is an issue in our society and we now see it for what it is, what do we do with it? And so it's talking to them about like with you know, social justice, right, um, the justice system in general, healthcare, now education is really at the forefront. It's been a big part of the news in the last year or so, uh, with all of these, you know, debates with education and school board conflicts and whatnot. But we're at this place where it's like we now know the issues and we know what needs to be fixed and how we can progress. But are we going to do that, right? Like we're staring it right in the eye. We're at We're at a pivotal moment, which I like to feel, hopeful about, that maybe things will get addressed um, as you were talking about, and really look at the profession and look at teachers as professionals um, and really, you know, value them as really important people in society and that their resources and time that you give to them is so important because what they're doing is a craft and you need time and you need resources for a craft and how they influence the next generation is so important. I mean, we're literally molding the next generation and we wanna see them do wonderful you know, things in society. So that's kind of what I've been reflecting on and sharing with my students is just, hopefully the pandemic is allowing us to face this head on.
1: I, I think a lot of the push to get back to face-to-face teaching and learning and all, I mean, safety and whatever aside um, largely ignored the loss of the hands-on skills that students need to succeed in being in the classroom mm-hmm. um I know for and I, and I were, of course like you do with like high school students and their st- for lack of a better word their stamina of being able to, Gosh, stay off the, div- stay off of the buses. Mm. Yeah. Is, is tiny.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just, just, just tiny. But I think our students, the modern day student, is more, is busier and more in, um. I don't want to say engaged, but more um, occupied. Mm-hmm. Before
0: and overstimulated. Yes. I mean, I have said this so many times that. I don't know how I could be a teenager in this time because how does your brain fully function? And we're both psychology teachers, so we have this background. How does your brain fully function and dive in deep to anything when it's distracted with so many other stimuli that is coming in?
1: And I think too, I mean, that combined with um, not sleeping, being worn Mm -hmm. as a badge of honor, the the ready availability and social mm-hmm. acceptance of of just drinking coffee like lots of caffeine mm-hmm. for young people is is um, i think all of those things are some is is something that we we as teachers yeah ha- have to adapt to mm-hmm. and the the way kids were taught even gosh 5 years ago no no longer serves a lot of them Mm -hmm. well um the it's uh, the expectations are just so so different yeah and we think that we that there's a lot of um training that we need to do to try and adapt to that but nothing we have right now is um I think the data is still new.
0: It is. And I, I mean, think there will be a new way of looking at education moving forward. I think instead of having workshops on, well, we did this before going into teaching in 2020, like everything's like, how do we do virtual school? But no one really trained us how to do hybrid, mm-hmm. which was super challenging. Mm-hmm. But now it's almost like we need to go back the other way of like, how do we slow things down and start to think more like methodically and deeply about what we're learning about our conversations about the lesson and take time to just pause and be a little like bored. I've talked about this with my psychology class, like not bored, like I got nothing to do, but just let the mind wander, let ideas flow in and I just feel like that's when you really can learn something yeah. instead of constantly moving to the next thing, and the next technology, get on this computer, get on this Google Doc, get on this, you know, ed tech space kind of thing.
1: I mean, I've been loath to assign homework. Mm-hmm. Number one, because it just isn't done by by a lot, a lot of folks just don't do it. Right. But for a lot of my students, they just don't have the time to do it. Yeah. I mean, if they're if they're playing a sport, they're getting back home really late Mm -hmm. and um it seems like their 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 lives that there's nothing wrong with having dinner at 9 30 10 o'clock and then starting your homework yeah and i mean the students will come to school just dead tired and slightly like talking about how late they stayed up to not complete, to still not complete everything they
2: had. Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm thinking, I'm reflecting back to those conscious decisions I made where I stayed up really late and I sacrificed, I felt a big, a a part of my health to still wake up, not fully prepared.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And still not completely do everything I felt like I needed to do. And I'm not sure there was any way that I, I could,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I feel much better and more productive now that I, um, well, I try to sleep more. I mean, it sounds very simple, but I can get up feeling just as unprepared as I used to, but mm-hmm. with a, a lot more hours under my belt. Mm-hmm. And I feel very uh, torn about assigning homework to my students, because like I said, a lot of them just won't do it. Um, With, but for a lot of for the ones that try, they, they start so late on it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the the product, the product of their efforts is, is, I think that that would be one of the single most significant changes that would free up at least in school a lot of time for students to get things done as students that would really benefit them.
0: Mm -hmm. And just making time in their schedule to do the work they need to do. And homework shouldn't be just like busy work. And I know like math particularly is practice, but we're in the humanities and science as well as psychology, but a lot of it's more project-based or writing. You need time for that. You need to think and like settle. So if there's time built into the schedule, to allow students to really work on something meaningful and then have a teacher there to guide them if they have questions or need to, you know, look over this, proofread this, you're right there. Um, I wholly believe the scheduling, like this is a, a passion of mine in wanting to see things change in education is the scheduling. Like schedules are, they're too packed. And there's a lot of things where we're just checking boxes. And I don't know how much meaning is in what the t- the students are really learning. Like, I don't think they, besides when they get to senior level and they get to pick some of the classes they want to be in, they're not finding a lot of meaning in what they're learning because they're just literally checking boxes for whatever. they. I think they're just kind of going back to what we do as psychology teachers is I would love to see teachers be part of collecting data of exactly what they see and observe in the classroom and collect all of this, almost like our classroom is it's a lab, right? It's a case study. These are our subjects and I'm not trying to say that we're like doing experiments on our students, but we collect all this data and look at all these patterns and how it's affecting their concentration, their mental health, just how to even like accomplish certain tasks in the classroom or products that you're creating and compile all of this. And I guarantee across the board, most schools and most teachers in the classroom would have very similar data. And then to take that and bring it to, you know, our heads of school, our superintendents, you know, would be great if it eventually got to like the school board and then collectively as a country to see there is a major problem in the American education system. And we have teachers who are there firsthand seeing it. And we know what needs to change in order for it to get better. Like, let us help the system. (laughs) You know, we are on the ground. We are, as they say, in the trenches. We have so much to offer, I think, as far as data and our ideas and our solutions.
1: You know, when I did my... um. Um, when I when I was doing my master's, I did a research project that involved students self-monitoring their academic behavior. Mm. Like I made a little hand, uh, like a spreadsheet, but it was all um, it was a hard copy. and mm-hmm. I gave them to my students and I had them monitor their own academic behavior. I, I think there's a lot of value in that for students just sort of, it's kind of like biofeedback where just yeah. seeing what they do and how they spend their time.
0: Well, then they have more accountability because they're the ones coming up with their own observations than just the teacher telling them, this is what I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. I think,
1: and so if we can somehow figure out a way that being... In our classes, being in front of us is what they choose to do and want to do. Um, I think that would win a lot of our battles for us. Yeah. But right now that's a real uphill struggle.
0: I know. I think it comes back to this is another, you know, way I want to see especially high school education change is more student choice. Yeah. in what they really desire to get into particularly in the upper grades so you know maybe ninth grade still that transition year but I think even by 10th grade they could be moving into what are the things that I'm passionate about that I really want to like hone in on And but whether they double up more in the science field or the humanities field or arts whatever that is and they have that ownership like you're choosing this you're in this class because you had this choice. That's, I, that's why I find that for the most part, um, for the ones who aren't just taking the AP, but the psychology students really do yeah. buy into most of what we're doing because they chose to be there. Um, so if we could see that in more grades, that would be very helpful because I think we need to foster that intrinsic motivation and foster that sense of advocacy and accountability Like. This is your choice. Now you need to really see it for what it is, and you put the work in and be proud of that. You know, you are you are making something for yourself here.
1: And and I think as teachers, we can do a. Um, I don't want to say say better job and stuff because I think, and I think right now I don't I really don't believe the current crop of students is is any necessarily dispositionally less motivated or less capable or anything mm-hmm. but they've come through this form of these these a big chunk of their formative years um disadvantaged
0: yeah
1: and in a in the in the you know even someone that's a high school student to have basically two f- really fractured years in there is yeah in, on on their on their record we 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 need to figure out a way to address these this Mm -hmm. and like pretending it didn't happen is certainly not working Mm -hmm. but i think that's largely what we're doing right now yeah we're seeing these things crop up and students struggling with different things and just either blaming it on the students or like wondering why it's happening Mm -hmm. but i think if we spent the energy and time that so many of us spend on criticizing each other, complaining about things, Mm -hmm. and actually looked at what's going on and figure out how to go about addressing it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I I think we can get a lot further than... um, And I
0: think think there needs to be more of a partnership. So, like, teachers with administration, with school boards, working collaboratively. Like we said, we're on on the ground, we can give data points and, and I think we have really good solutions and ideas and then work with the higher ups that maybe look at funding and other logistics, marry that together. And you have a team that also feels like they have power. Cause I think what teachers are lacking is they don't think their voice matters kind of why I wanted to start this project. Uh Um, And that they don't have any power. And so if this collaboration could exist, it would benefit everybody. And it would keep a lot of, I think, teachers in the game wanting to keep fighting the good fight.
1: (laughs) I think as just like with our students, everybody brings, all, all, all teachers and all students bring different things to the table. Students from different walks of life, different cultures, different ethnicities, whatever. Mm -hmm. and we can work together i personally think we have plenty of abilities and smarts to figure this thing out Mm -hmm. but right now we're we're um we're 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 struggling to find that 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 middle ground or or whatever there's too much friction and so
0: there needs to be more coalition and so i think when we see that like that's when the real solutions will happen is when we start to see ourselves working together as a team and not fighting against one another
1: and maybe maybe one of those constituents that contributes to the country the conversation needs, needs needs to be the young people they have a big part in it mm-hmm. but how maybe we need to figure out a way that we can all sit down and figure out what we need to do have we can find that that middle ground that we all mutually want and respect and try to figure out how we can get to it you know i, I yeah right right now it's just so oppositional yeah and i don't think we're getting anywhere we're not at least not quickly um
0: i think that's the perfect message and um if you don't mind, kind of like how I want to end this conversation is I think we were saying earlier with the pandemic has opened up, uh, you know, so much that we need to look at. I think we're at this brainstorming pivotal stage and maybe we can start to move forward as a collective. I think that's where we need to see this going as a collective, as a team and
1: collaborating to really solve these problems. And maybe, this this paradigm is shifting, and maybe there's certain parts of what we have been doing. And I'm a dinosaur, I've been teaching for over three years. Maybe some of that stuff, it's time to leave it behind or change it in a way to better fit where we want to go. But I don't know where that is unless I involve the people who I'm gonna try dragging along with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think people working together without any agenda other than trying to make this this whole make education work well and work mm-hmm. as best as it can for as many people as it can i think I think we can do it, I think but so we too. do but we do need to sit down and figure out how to do it yeah and and I, I think we can. I think we can, but I think we got to leave a lot of, we got to check our egos at the door.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Can you, um, can you just end with that Hawaiian saying uh, that is about this whole making something good again?
1: Oh yeah, it's, um, it's called ho-o, pono pono. That's nice. In Hawaiian, ho'o, if you add ho to something, that means it's giving it um, action. Okay. Um, pono is good excellent like the the state anthem for Hawaii is Hawaii mm. Pono-i Hawaii excellent
2: mm,
1: mm-hmm. so to ho'opono Pono is to make something better hoopono Pono Pono is to make something as good as it can be
2: mm-hmm.
1: excellent and it's something that the Hawaiians have been, have been doing for centuries yeah and it's still something you do there but the reason why sometimes people don't want it is because it might be uncomfortable. You might, when the other person at the other party has a chance to talk, you might have to hear things about what you've been doing that you, you don't agree with or don't realize. But that's the big part of the first step of moving on, that that's yeah. shared in the spirit of moving forward and, and you all need to get along.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like you got to get uncomfortable to make things better.
1: Yeah, and we get a lot further um, sharing and helping each other than we do by ourselves as individuals, at least that's what I think.
0: Well, thank you so much, Carl. This has been a really enlightening conversation and I think a really good brainstorming sesh as well. And so I really appreciate your time with us today.
1: And you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe maybe it starts with you. (laughs) Maybe it starts with us. Mm. Maybe we figure this thing out. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. And I, I say aloha to you. Aloha. All right. Thank you,